0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Hi everyone. Just let you give give you a moment to find it. So it was uh, Matthew 24, verse 36 to 44. The day and hour are known. But what about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father? As it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. For the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man." Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Join me as we just pray for Matthew before he speaks. Lord, we thank you for Matthew. We thank you for his open heart. We thank you for the words that you've put on his heart. And we pray that all that he speaks today will be inspired by you, Lord. We pray that our hearts will be open and malleable just to receive your word today. And we thank you that we can belong to a church who's really rooted in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Guys, it is wonderful to be here. Uh, good afternoon, Christ City Church. Good afternoon. Anybody awake? Good afternoon, Christ City Church. There we go. Wonderful. Did anybody get wet on the way in? Or does everyone stay dry? They stay dry. Wonderful. Fantastic. Uh, guys, I want to ask a question, H- hence why I'm asking about did anyone get wet. Has there ever been a moment in which you've been caught out, or, or you, something has taken you by surprise, or you've been taken off guard? Or something has happened and you've simply not been prepared for it. Um, one of the things uh, for me, I'll tell you a little story in a moment, but I am 32 years old and I do not have a raincoat at all. So I, I don't know, I've been in Ireland all my life and I've never had a raincoat as far as I've known. I probably had one as a child, but I, I haven't had one as an adult. So if anyone is donating a small um, male raincoat, I would happily take one. <laughs> But back a number of years ago I just started to date Emma and I was around at her house and we were sitting around the family table, big family table and in runs Emma's dad from the farm and he's shouting the cows have broken out, cows have broken out and for a start I don't know what the next move is, who gets up, what, what do we do, the cows have broken out but what, what do we do, I'm, I'm not the man to put the cows back in. Uh, I don't back myself as a co- against a cow. I, I, I can't persuade a cow. I can't use logic. I can't, can't get a cow from here to here. So what happens? So everyone jumps up immediately to the back door. Everyone runs. They get the wellies out. Everyone gets their wellies on and out onto the road and out into the next field to try and coax the cows out of one field and off the road into the right field. And that's great. And there's a squad of us. But what I noticed while standing in the wrong field trying to get the cows out, was that all of Emma's family were, were in wellies. And there was Maffy, just started to date, date Emma, didn't bring any clothes with me. And I was there in a pair of chinos and a pair of red toms, obviously with no socks, out in the field, getting absolutely wrecked by the dirt and by the poop. And there was me standing and realizing, man, I'm in a pair of chinos and red toms, and here are all these people who would one day be my in-laws, in their wellies, well-equipped, Chat about a guy that was unprepared. And this is the shocking core of Jesus' message today among his hearers. And so this is what he was saying to his hearers back then. And this is what Jesus is saying to us today. Is that he is coming back and we would better be ready. So we're going to explore this afternoon what it is that prevents us from being watchful. And what it is that prevents us from being ready. And so the the conversation here in Matthew 24 is set during the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion at Calvary. And to this point, Jesus has been challenging the people of Israel, particularly the, Israel's leaders, the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the teachers. And he's, he's challenging them to bear fruit in keeping with being his people, so in keeping with repentance. He's challenging them to live lives that are worthy of their calling. But ultimately, they reject him, and they are going to reject him, and they're going to put him to death a couple of days later. And so there's there's this group of parables that are set on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus and his disciples are alone. However, the disciples have just witnessed Jesus condemning the Pharisees, uh, rebuking and warning them of their hypocrisy and of the coming judgment. And so here on the side of the mountain, Jesus turns to his disciples. And in this context, about his coming return, let's see what he says. Verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He's telling his disciples this for a really clear purpose. And it's not to stimulate predictions and conversations about the when, the how, and the why about his return, because there's been countless books, there's been countless theories, there's been there's countless words typed about when there's going to be the return, it's going to be the year 2000. Some of you weren't even born then. Or is it going to be 2012 at the end of the Mayan calendar? Look at what the Word of God says. But about that there are no one knows, not even angels. And not even the Son, but only the Father. You know, Jesus, when he became human, he took on human limitations. And he didn't know. The angels in heaven didn't know. And so the clear purpose of this passage is, is, is to serve as a warning, to remain watchful. To live with vigilance to be spiritually prepared and not found wanting. And so very often, uh, the the, the real issue gets lost. And it's this, that since Jesus is coming again, this reality should radically shape how we live in the here and now. And that's a point, we'd better be ready. And so if we focus on readiness, we need not worry about the details. If we focus on readiness, we don't need to worry about the how, the when, the the why and what time that's all going to happen, because we can trust Jesus to get the details right. And so the very nature of Jesus coming is not grounds for speculation that many people have waded into, but rather for us, it's a call to holiness, it's a call to preparedness, it's a call to watchfulness. So Jesus continues with four illustrations, and we're going to get into these. Um, And the illustrations are to give us an impression of what he's going to find when he comes. And it's going to be his call to get ready or to be ready. So ignore the keep calm and be sure the law be grand. That's meant to come up in another click. Let's look at the text. As it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. You know, in Noah's day, judgment came on the people because of how they were doing these things. How they were eating, how they were drinking, how they were marrying. But Jesus is emphasizing this here in a in way that it's, It's not the morality of eating, drinking, and marrying. Jesus is emphasizing the normality of it. Do you get the difference? It's not the morality of it, it's the normality of it. God is going to act again in history unexpectedly. But when he does, we're going to find that life is going to be gone on as normal, and it's going to take us by surprise. And so our job isn't to pass judgment on how people eat, how they drink, how they marry. But at the same time, in Noah's day, people walk blindly into oblivion. And it is simply through the everyday normality of life. And so the the challenge for us is that we run the risk of living lives that are ruled by comfort, lives that are ruled by pleasure, lives that are ruled by distraction. And so let's get to the the picture. What is the phrase that we Irish love to use the most? Sure, it'll be grand. It'll all be grand. We assume it's all going to work out in the end. And what will be, will be. And we end up living and letting live. We end up cruising along. No matter what happens, sure, it'll be grand. It's fine. No issue. Thunderstorm, sure, it'll pass. It'll be grand. We cruise along, and we don't want to chat about these things. We, you know, we, we don't want to chat about the future. We don't want to chat about death. Who wants to chat about death? We don't want to chat about the second coming. We don't want to, we don't want to confront these realities in people's lives, because in doing so, it's, it's going to be discomforting. And doing so, it's going to make for a tough conversation. And so what do we often do? Well, we say, well, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. Uh, this is what I believe. You can believe what you believe. And we kind of just live and let live. Sure, it'll be grand. The next two illustrations are two men and two women. They're identical. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at a handmill; One will be taken and the other one will be left you see what they're doing? They're, they're working. They're both working. And it's normal assumed activity. They're just getting on with life as it is. And as they get on with life, one will be taken and one will be left in both cases. I want to tell you, Jesus is coming. And as he comes, he is going to be sifting his people. And it's going to be divisive. It's going to be really divisive. Who's going to be taken? Who's going to remain? You know, the word rapture might come to mind here or, or perhaps a cheap Nicolas Cage movie. It's not a great movie at all. It's an hour and a half. You will not get back. Nevertheless, it's good. The end begins, are you prepared? It might maybe be a good movie to watch after this talk. But the picture Jesus is painting is that no one will know when he's going to return. Life is going to be going on as normal. But whenever he returns, it's going to be sudden. It's going to be visible and it's going to be really divisive. And the thing is, no one in the days of Noah knew that the judgment of the flood was coming until the flood actually came. They lived normal lives, absolutely oblivious to the coming judgment. And so the the image of the days of Noah doesn't mean that the world is going to be even more wicked than it was back then. Rather, it means that the people are going to be totally unaware, totally asleep at the wheel. You know, Hebrews 11 tells us that Noah was watchful and he was awake and he prepared for it while Noah was watchful, awake and prepared, the rest of the world were unaware until it was too late. And the thing is, Noah was deemed to be crazy, building a huge boat in the middle of a desert area, taking years to complete. It's like building a boat on an lawn. you're a serious distance away from shore. Noah built a boat in the middle of a desert area, taking years to complete, but while he was doing this, what was he doing? He was getting on with God's business. Well, what was the world doing? Well, the world was just getting on with their everyday normal activity. And in the end, we know that Noah wasn't crazy. Hebrews 11 tells us he was a righteous man. Genesis 6 tells us he was blameless among the people and he was faithful to God. And while Noah's neighbors thought he was crazy, he was in fact watchful and ready. So church, are you willing to feel the pinch of being thought off by your friends, your colleagues, your classmates, maybe even your, maybe even your family, has been crazy, been weird, different perhaps. I know as we get to the crux of the parable, we're going to see, as with Noah, in the end, you will not be seen to be crazy by what you prioritize. For you who prioritize Christ, you will not be seen to be crazy at the very end. So we're told to keep watch. And the fourth one, the thief in the night, verse 43. You know, the parable of a thief makes it really, really clear. If the owner of the house knows that a thief is coming, he's going to stay awake to catch him. What's really unusual about this is that Jesus is portrayed here as a thief. It's the only place you're going to find in Scripture where Jesus is portrayed as the thief. But it's a thief that is coming suddenly, and the thief is coming without warning, The thing is, if the householder knows that he's coming sometime in the night, he can be prepared, he can get his CCTV going, he can get his guard dogs out, he can can keep the lights on. The person who is unaware that the thief is coming is going to be the one who is ultimately robbed. And you notice the householder is awake, and awake is a regular metaphor for spiritual alertness. And so those who are going to be in the kingdom are those who are spiritually awake. Those who are spiritually awake are aware that the judgment is near and the judgment is coming. You know, when I was dating Emma, uh, again, she used to study down here in in Dublin. And I was working up in the northwest of Ireland. And every few weeks after work, I would log off early, hop off about 6 p.m., jump in the car, race down to Dublin, and get down to visit Emma for 9 p.m. And so I'd arrive down to Rathmines at 9 p.m., Kicking out time in the halls was midnight and Bart, the security guard, came and rattled in the door. It's midnight, time to go. So I'd have went down, had a quick chat with Bart, hopped in the car and and driven home. And uh, and there was one evening as I was driving home, I was going up the M1 and I knew that Junction 14 was my junction. And if anybody here who knows the M1, Junction 14 is RD. And Junction 13 is pretty close before it and you can really easily miss 14. So I always kept an eye out for 12. As soon as i seen 12, I knew 14 was coming. And on this evening that I was coming up the road, uh, I went through the toll. It was grand. I paid my 190. And the next thing I knew, it was Junction 16. I woke up. And I just went past Junction 16. I was on the way to Junction 17, heading up toward Belfast, even though I needed to go west. I was asleep at the wheel. And the reality is that there's many people in church who are just like that. Spiritually, they're dreaming that they're absolutely right with God. They're ready to meet the Son of Man. But like an unprepared household, they're in for a surprise on that glorious day. They're like me, asleep at the wheel. Driving, everything is grand, maybe listening to spurred radio or worship music. I don't know what I was doing. The window could have been down, but the reality was I was asleep at the wheel. I missed my junction, and I was three junctions up before I came to my senses. And you know, church, we often think that those who are going to hell are those who are indulging in a promiscuous lifestyle. Those that are... That are doing the the big obvious sins that 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 we would stay away from. They're the ones that are easy to, to pick out. What what about the ordinary person who's getting on with their life? The bigger danger here is for those not committing ordinary sins. Remember who Jesus' audience is here? His audience is his disciples, and there's a few warnings. Similarly to Noah's day, some are lost because of their active rejection, their deliberate lives of sin and rebellion. It's easy to pick out who they are. They're active rejection. They're rejecting God altogether. It's easy to see. But what about the other people who are avoiding the potholes? The people who are keeping themselves looking fairly clean on the outside. They're maintaining the status quo, but on the inside, they're far from God. It's like a secular indifference has set in. This this attitude, ah, it'll be grand. Sure, it'll all work out. Sure, I said the prayer that one time. I went to the camp whenever I was a teenager and I, and I said the prayer and I went up. I've got the Bible verse. I, got, I made my confirmation when I was a kid. I've still got my Bible. I've still got my confirmation money. Sure, look, I'm already baptized. Maybe I've been born into a Christian family. And Sure, look, I'm here at your church after all, so it's grand. And so the challenge is, what is it that prevents us from being watchful and ready for the return of the King? What are some of the ways in the modern world that we can become like those in these illustrations who forget the return of the king? And so I think there's six things that, uh, that can stop us and prevent us from being watchful and ready. Oh, Individualism, I'll forge my own destiny. This idea that something must be true and good if it works for me. And so if, if, if I see that the Christian thing works for, for them, and, and I'll, I'll try it out, I'll dip my feet in it, and if it works, then, then it's good, and I'll do it. But ultimately, I will forge my own destiny. My conscience is Lord. And so if it looks good, and if it feels good, then it must be good and true, then I'll, I'll go for it. But whenever the rubber hits the road, whenever persecution comes... Or whenever, whenever we find that our commitment to Christ comes under pressure, maybe in the workplace or in college, whenever, whenever somebody mocks us or, 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 or they laugh at us for being a Christian, whenever the hate comes, cracks will begin to appear. If that's you, then ultimately you've been committed to yourselves, committed to your own pursuit of happiness, rather than having a heart that's been transformed by Christ. Or perhaps maybe it's, uh, it's secularism or skepticism. I don't trust anything. I can creep in the skepticism. There, you know, there's so many competing arguments about this passage you're preaching on, math. And what about the end times? There's people that think this, there's others that think this, and nothing ever seems to come out of them. How can I trust anything they say? You know, I'd rather avoid it all. I'd rather just wait it out. I just don't trust anything. And you know, in this moment, the skeptic isn't the person that's unwilling to darken the door of the church. Rather, the skeptic is the person that's regularly attending church. They're regularly at City Group. But what are they doing? They're sleepwalking their way toward eternity due to their lack of trust in anything anymore. Or maybe it's materialism the idea that I have all that I need. And the reality and the beauty of Christ's second coming is that overshadowed by um, maybe by our bank accounts, overshadowed by what we wear overshadowed by our stuff and our pursuits, overshadowed by our desire to get the latest iPhone 14, overshadowed by our, our, our desire to have what the next person has, to keep up with the Joneses, to fit in at college. You know, maybe you're following Jesus wholeheartedly, but then as an adult, you're at college now, or you've just started to work and life comes along, Pressures and responsibilities come along, all these good things, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're no longer uh, within your, your little hedge of protection, and your, your faith is feeling the heat. And, uh, and, and you decide, well, you know what, I, I can't give the church, I'm, I'm finding it a little bit tight. I, I can't give the church 10 euro a month because I, 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 I need that for food, I need that for my coffees, I need that for Starbucks, and I need that for the cinema. And all of a sudden, all these good things, none of these things I've said are bad in the slightest, but all these good things become a security that dampens our zeal and that invites apathy into our lives. You know, Rick Warren said, most men lead lives of aimless distraction. There's always something that's vying for our attention and affections. And we risk becoming like the homeowner who isn't spiritually awake. Or maybe it's religion, the idea that I've, I've done all that I need to do. And this is perhaps is one of the most subtle ways that we can forget the, 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 the return of the king. We can go through the motions of church attendance. We can even give that 10 euro a month. We can take communion after the service. There I said we can even get baptized, thinking we are prepared for the thief. And the reality is that religion leaves no room for spiritual alertness. Religion places our security and our confidence in what we have done, not in what God has achieved for us. And so we end up dreaming that our religion is our way of being prepared. or Maybe hedonism, the idea about living for pleasurable experiences, the pursuit of pleasure, pursuit of self-indulgence. I think this is so pervasive in the 21st century. And you know, at various points in our lives, we look no different to those around us. And we can end up assimilating to the culture, just fitting in, blending in, valuing and pursuing what the culture values and pursues. And as we do that, what do we do? Well, we lose sight of the need to be watchful. We lose sight of the need to be ready. I wonder what that looks like in your life. Living for pleasurable experiences, going from one high to the next. Maybe it's one spiritual high to the next. Maybe it's going to different churches. Maybe it's going to different youth groups. Maybe it's plugging into all these, these different Christian things to try to get this spiritual high, to try and attain to something. Or maybe, maybe perhaps it's finding it in college. Maybe it, perhaps it's finding it in the pub and the clubs. Maybe it's finding it in relationships, bouncing from one relationship to the next. What is it that you're tempted to be living for pleasurable experiences in? What is that thing or maybe the final one, this idea of populism. I'll do whatever it takes to be popular, getting sucked into whatever is popular and whatever is current in the moment and being driven along by the spirit of the age. What is it that you're tempted to, to compromise your faith in so that you can fit in well? Maybe it's in school, college, or work. See, well, you know what? It's easier just to, just to keep, keep your faith hidden. Sure, I wear my heart in my sleeve, I wear my faith in my sleeve, but I also put on a hoodie and I cover my sleeve up. Sure, I can live as a Christian at home where it's, it's often safe. Maybe for some of you, it's not. Sure, I can live as a Christian in church and city group. But what, what is it? What is it like when it, whenever you're surrounded by your non-Christian friends, whenever you feel the pension, whenever you feel the pressure, where this is popular, this is what they're living for, but you know that you're living for Christ and it stands against that. We're called to keep watch. We're called to be ready. And in veering off in that way, I can assure you of this, we will end up sleepwalking into eternity as people who are not ready and people who are not keeping watch. So the mission of Christ is ultimately hijacked because we seek to fit in, because we seek to go along with the crowd. So this is an apocalyptic message. It's a message about the end times, but it's not a message to frighten us. And neither is it a message to be disposed of, but it's a message to inspire and to give hope. And so as we live out our ordinary lives, we do so in such a way that we we can be spiritually alert, spiritually awake, waiting for Christ's return. And as we do this, this should be one of our primary motivators to drive us to evangelism, to drive us to the mission of Jesus against the tide of hindrances. So Jesus is coming back again at a time we do not know when. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be visible. It's going to be very much divisive. And so the question is, will you be found to have your affections fixed upon the world or will you be spiritually awake, keeping watch, keeping ready for his coming? So we've, we've looked here at six, six things that prevent us from being watchful and ready. But well, what does it look like to be watchful, to be ready today? And this is where our time of communion is going to come in. Our time of renewal. I want to tell you that to be watchful and to be ready today is to commit yourselves to Christ, to to recommit yourselves to his people and to commit yourselves to his mission. What is his mission? His mission is to carry the gospel here in Dublin. Our mission is to make a positive impact for Jesus in Dublin spiritually, culturally and socially. Lord Jesus, we proclaim your death until you come again. And as a church, Lord, we resolve to be watchful and to be ready. As a church, Lord, we recognize that we can only come into your presence through the precious blood of Jesus because of that blood that was shed at Calvary. And so we come before you, we stand before you with hearts full of gratitude. We stand before you and and we pray, Lord, that we would be a prepared people, that we would be a ready people. And so, Lord, we consecrate ourselves back to you. We recommit ourselves to you and to your church and to your mission here in Dublin. In Jesus' name.